So glad that you're here today with us, and if you are for the first time, we are in a series working through uh, all of the message to the Corinthians. We're looking at 1st and 2nd Corinthians, seven different installments, three-week kind of mini-series for each different theme, and we are looking right now particularly at 1st Corinthians 12 through 14, talking about spiritual gifts, particularly spiritual gifts in the body of Jesus. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, and a little different uh, format than normal. We, we spent 10 minutes just overviewing, 10 minutes kind of unpacking a couple different key sections, and then 10 minutes applying. Today will be a little more as we normally uh, engage with, with Scripture. Um, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll start in verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. And today I want to answer this question, what does the church really need? Like, what does the church really need? As you're turning to 1 Corinthians, I want to to just begin by asking you this question as you consider what the church really needs. What are some occasions where you've worked hard to present, like, your best self? Like you've thought about what you're going to wear, how your hair will look. Maybe you thought about what particular shoes or, or makeup you'll wear. I mean, you've really thought about like presenting your best self. I think just because it's, it's you know, present in my mind, I think about the, a wedding. Uh, you know, you, especially, especially those in the wedding party think very carefully about what they're going to wear and, and how they look. Maybe like a big job interview. You, you thought... I mean, I really want to make sure I present my best self, right? Maybe you wear that special suit, you wear that special tie, you look just right because you know you want to have your best impression. Maybe it was a first date. Um, Yeah, I don't know. uh, Megan and I started uh, dating when we were working at a summer camp. And so I think I wore a T-shirt and jeans for our first date. uh, And we watched the NBA Finals. And... um, Yes, yeah. Good thing Megan is a patient, understanding woman. Because uh, it wasn't just any NBA Finals; it was one the Pistons were in. So I was—I'm uh, a Detroit Pistons fan. So I was not too occupied or preoccupied with Megan. So, anyway, that's besides the point. The point is, we can think of occasions where we want to present ourselves the best. Like we care about how we look, what we say. You know, we we want to be ready for those occasions. Let me ask you this as a follow-up. What should the church look like on her best day? I think it's interesting. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about this picture of of a husband and wife, and and he relates it to um, Jesus and his bride, the church. And he says that that husbands are to present their wives before the Lord as spotless. And 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 he gives that instruction in relationship to how Jesus is going to present his bride before his father as a spotless bride. And he says, specifically, without any blemish. Like, think about how perfect that bride is going to be, that there's nothing wrong with her. She is absolutely blemish-free. When we think about what the church really needs, I think that ought to be our aim. 
Like, what do we need to model here on earth what Jesus intends to present before his Father in heaven? So when we're thinking about what the church really needs, man, as much as I want a building and a place for us, there's something greater than that. As much as I would love for our church to just explode numerically because the gospel has just reached, you know, so many people. There's something more specific than that that Paul talks about that we really need. He says what the church really needs is love. Now, I didn't plan the fact that on Valentine's Day weekend we'd be look, looking at 1 Corinthians 13. This is what we were just moving through this passage. And I find it very providential that probably for the past two days, at some time or manner, you've been thinking about the topic of love. Fair? I mean, maybe more than others, maybe less than others. But the point is, not looking to get any husbands in trouble. The point is, the church really needs love. And Paul outlines for us essentially two ways for us to engage in what we really need. And he begins in verse 27 by showing us that we as a church need to embrace our identity. Specifically, that we are members in the body of Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ. Speaking to the Corinthian church, he calls this collective corporate nature. You are the body of Christ. And notice he filters it down and individually members of it. I want to draw our attention actually back to 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there, you can see behind me. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, Paul describes what he means by this. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, notice he says, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, doesn't matter your nationality, slaves or free, doesn't matter your economic status. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of what? But of many. He uses this physical picture of our bodies to represent what the spiritual body of Christ is. Notice he even points this out again, or maybe an implication of this in verse 26 of chapter 12. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. One member is honored, all rejoice together. We have uh, Tanner Dupay and uh, Rebecca here this morning. And maybe you don't know Rebecca, and I'm pointing her out because Rebecca came in on crutches this morning. And Rebecca, I said, what happened? And she said that she hurt one toe, right? One toe? One toe. If one member suffers, <laughs> that whole body's going to suffer. Probably part of her foot hurt, and now, and now her, her, her arms hurt, 
Her shoulders hurt from those crutches. Like, we understand that if just one thing in our body isn't quite right, the whole body has to adapt. The whole body suffers. And, and why is this significant? Paul is wanting us to understand that if we are followers of Jesus, we believe in his gospel, we belong to something that is beyond ourselves. We belong to what Paul calls here the body of Jesus. And this is a helpful understanding for us because we are people who are organized by God. When we understand that we belong to a body that is made up of what Paul says, many members, and we understand how we got into that position, we know that God is doing something that is beyond us, right? He's taking us as individual members and forming us into one collective body. There's significance to that because now we have a unique relationship one to another. If you hurt your thumb or your finger, stub your toe, you don't just ignore it like, oh, that's not really, you know, that's not really a part of me, right? If you have, if you have a blemish on your face, you're not like, ah, oh, no big deal, no one's going to see, it's not really a part of me. No, you address every single part of your body because in essence, even though it's many members, it's, it's one. I want you to think about this as it pertains to you and to me. If we are, yes, individual members, but a part of one body, do you think it should change the way we look at one another? Like, if I understand that I am belonging to you in the same similar way that you are belonging to me, all of a sudden, it, there's a different dynamic to that relationship. There's a different responsibility involved. When I understand that I'm a part of a collective body made up of individual members, it starts to change the way I look at one another. I don't, I don't look at like my hand that can do more than my femur as something that's more important. I recognize that my body is all one. And so when this is starting to apply to the context of the church, Paul is trying to have us understand is that, yes, there's individual members but they belong to one body. There's one spirit. There's one gospel. We have a relationship one to another, and this relationship has been organized by God. But also we see that as members of this body of Jesus, we have to understand we are people not just organized by God, but empowered by God. Notice what he says in verse 28, and I think this will start to make sense of this idea of unity despite the many individualities in the body. He says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. He says, are all apostles? And the applied answer is what? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But if we're understanding that, yes, one particular body member might possess a different gift than the other, but if we accept that we're all organized by God and we all belong to one body, then the disparity there doesn't or shouldn't maybe matter that much, right? 
want to talk, though, what I think Paul is suggesting here, that we are people that are empowered by God. He starts with this order, maybe, of importance of the gifts, and he exhorts the Corinthians to desire or pursue the gifts in light of these priorities. And if you notice, he transitions, and he's going to talk about this in chapter 13, about something that's even more important than gifts. However, this list of gifts is probably not given in an absolute order of value. I think the first three gifts, or maybe even offices, are clearly ordered and set above the others, and it is not accidental that speaking in and interpreting tongues are last on the list. So I want to ask you this question before we move on. How should we respond when we realize that any gift we have for the church is from God and for God? So let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just walk back this minute. When, when we look at this list of gifts that we see up here on the screen or in your text, you see a wide ranging, don't you? You see these men who were literally commissioned by Jesus. These men, apostles, that, that Acts tells they were no ordinary men. They, they literally turned the world upside down. Then we see these other giftings of prophets. We talked a little bit about what some of these involved last week, the, the nature of them, prophets and teachers and miracles and gifts of healing helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Like when we think about those gifts, there, there is a certain desire in any of us, or maybe in all of us, to, to want that type of usefulness or to want to exercise that type of giftedness. But when we consider the fact that God has gifted the church and that any gift that we've received is from God and for God, what should our response be to that giftedness? What do you think? Like, what should our response be to when, we, when, to when we consider that God has gifted the church? What do you think? What's that? Thankfulness. This is all from God. This isn't something that we've conjured up on our own, right? We've not, we've not become or done any of these things, and neither had the Corinthian church on their own. Salvation is a gift from God. The Spirit is a gift from God. It's all a gift from God. So I think that's a great response. When we consider this, thankfulness. But what else? What else could be a natural or, or should be a, a, an appropriate response to understanding this giftedness in the church? Humility. It's not about us. We didn't do this. This is about us following and submitting to the work of God. And if God is the one that's given you a gift of teaching and someone else the gift of tongues or you the gift of healing and someone else the gift of teaching, God is the giver. You're not more or less important than any other person. It's a humility and it's a thankfulness. I think if we're not careful, when we think about gifting, and maybe even gifting beyond the church. Because God does give individuals gifting, there often is a little bit of, I guess, a tendency, or we're prone to, to think about us as something significant, right? Our accomplishments, our achievements, our abilities. But when we understand the context in which these gifts have been given, A, they're, they're from God, and B, they're for one another. They're for the members. Remember last week, Paul talks about these gifts are given for the common good. 
So now all of a sudden when we start thinking about desiring gifts or using gifts or even the fact that others may acknowledge our gifts, our response should be, as Ben said, thankfulness. As David mentioned, humility. The beauty of this, though, without sounding like I'm, I'm, I'm chastising you, think about this. If we're embracing our identity as members of God's church, as those who've been called and saved by God himself, we can rejoice in that God has given us exactly who we need and exactly what we need through our church. I think about that. I need you. I really do. And, I'm, and maybe, unfortunately, you need me. <laughs> we need one another. We need each other because we belong to one body together. No one is more or less important in this church. Every single person in this church matters. You matter to me, you matter to one another, because ultimately you matter to God. Do not forget that. Whether you have giftings such as these miraculous or unique ones, or ones that aren't so public or platform in nature, you matter to this church, and ultimately the church. So if you leave today without anything else, embrace who God made you to be. He made you to be a member of his church for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Isn't that good? Like we talk about, and we talked about this a lot in the past, we talk about purpose and identity and we wonder, do we have it and what it's for? You have it so much. God has placed you in a family for, his, for our good and for his glory. Embrace that. The church really needs to embrace her identity that we belong one to another, organized and empowered by God. Secondly, Paul shows us what the church really needs. Not just to embrace her identity, but to exercise her responsibility. Now, as we study through 12 through 14, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we're talking about a lot of, a lot of uh, terms, ideas that demand unpacking more unpacking than one single sermon can do. Especially today because we're, we're, we're kind of glossing over some of, these, some of these maybe terms that I think you may want to know. Um, I'm providing, many of you saw I think this week, there is a, a Google document where I'm going to be uploading definitions and, and some more explanation of this of, of this study that I would invite you to consider. Uh, you can go to our, our, our Facebook page and see the link to it. But... Um, when, I, when we're going to talk about, especially this next section here, as it relates to the gifts, and especially in 1 Corinthians 14 next week, I just want you to know that if you feel like, man, I wish you would talk more about that or explain a little bit more, there is going to be a place for that. So if you have any questions, let me know. But I just want to make sure you're aware that as we get into this discussion of giftedness and these gifts, if it's not covered here, hopefully you can find it there as well. Paul talks about exercising our responsibility, and that responsibility is love, and he brings us to a pivot in verse 31 of chapter 12. He says, for us to exercise this responsibility, we must first accept the priority of love. Because he says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and in connection, 
and I will still show you a more excellent way. Let's talk about this for a minute. It is clear from Paul's way of addressing this issue, gifts and love, that some Corinthians were seeking or, er- or eagerly desiring what they considered to be uh, a greater gifts, more important gifts. And we can see from the text, and especially last week, that particularly tongues. And potentially that this either desiring of this greater gift or, or the use of these greater gifts, it, it caused a problem. Maybe some tension in the church, maybe looking at some people as having more gifting than others. And so Paul wants to show them that there is a more excellent, a better way than even gifts. I think what's interesting, by the fact that Paul is acknowledging that there's a better way or a more excellent way, shows that the current path they're on, that there's one that's superior. Now, why is that significant? Because I think because of the way we think about talents and gifts, when we think about exercising like the giftedness that we just saw, there'd be a natural tendency, I think, in any and all of us to, to, to evaluate or to esteem those who are doing miracles. In that context, man, you have people speaking in tongues, foreign languages, and, and miraculously others interpreting them. You had healings. You had some amazing things. And the Corinthian church especially was wanting those more miraculous public gifts. But Paul says, hey, I've got something actually better than that for you. I've got something even greater than those gifts that you're wanting and using. And you know what that is? It's love. He shows us this priority of love. And Paul says, starting in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, what does he compare himself to? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, what does he say? I'm nothing. And I love how he makes it to something that's now what would be considered such a gift or talent to just what I think is just a personal, like, commitment. He says, if I give away all I have, I'm generous. And deliver up my body, give everything I have to be burned, but have not love. Look what he says. I gain what? Now, Paul will lead them to understand that the greatest of gifts are not those that minister to status or to self, but those which serve the good of others and build the community up, to build the church up. Now, let's, let's just pause here because this goes against what we normally praise. Like, we had the Oscars a couple weeks ago. We, we praised talented actors. NBA All-Star Weekend, we praised talented athletes. You know, we have the Forbes 30 under 30 or 40 under 40. We praise successful businessmen, right? Even in the church, we find this happening. Man, those who have tongues, they're something special. Those who have prophetic powers, they're something special. Those who even give away all they have, that must be someone special. But Paul says, I want to tell you what is really special. Love. He shows the priority of love even over the greatest of spiritual gifts. 
And I think this is where it comes down to us. If we were to say, you know, if we were to put before us, um, my kids were kind of doing this in our home yesterday. Olivia asked me, she said, Dad, if you could have any Marvel superhero power, what would you have? <laughs> I was like, just one? Yeah, just one, Dad. I was like, well, and so we get into this whole discussion about like what power, you know, if we had set before us, do you want to be able to heal people miraculously or love them? Do you want to speak in tongues and interpret tongues, foreign languages, or do you want to love? Do you want to raise someone from the dead or cast out a demon or love? Paul says, love is greater. And I think to demonstrate this, it doesn't just show us the priority. It shows us a portrait of what love looks like. Look in verse verse 4. He says, love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When I see this portrait, I think of two things. I think, man, I wish I was loved more like this. <laughs> I wish I experienced that type of love more often. Then I also think, man, I wish I loved others like this. Like, you know, I think about, I think about when you walk, walk through what love is, I, I, I desire it for myself, and I wish I could give that type of love to others. And I was actually sharing that with Megan this weekend. I was sharing it in the context of our church. I wish our church would love like this. And, and, and Megan was quick to rebuke me, and, and not rebuke, but to certainly point me to this wonderful truth. That the same person who loves me like this also equally enables me to love like this. Like, think about this. We, when we look at this text, our natural, and depending on who you are, your natural tendency is to think, man, I wish others loved me this way. You think about the hurt you've experienced, maybe the, the rejection you've experienced, the, the disappointment, and you wish, man, I wish I could experience that type of love. Maybe, maybe you're the type of person who thinks, man, I wish I could love others that way, and you see in your life the casualties from not loving in this way. And Megan's just like, you know, regardless, we need to look to Jesus. Because Jesus, and I think what Paul was doing here, Paul is creating a portrait of what Jesus' love looks like. The type of love that Paul is describing here is a love that we may never experience human to human. But you know where you can and even are experiencing that love right now? Through Jesus Christ. He loves you like that. He's patient and kind with you. He's not irritable. <laughs> he believes and hopes. His love endures despite our own lack of faithfulness to him. Despite our irritability. Despite our rudeness and our boasting. Jesus loves us like that. And when we understand what the gospel is, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When we believe and trust and and, and dwell in that gospel, we have the ability to love others that way. 
If you are struggling with someone in your life to love them in the way that Paul describes love here, I've got good news. Run to Jesus. He's demonstrating to you right now what that love looks like. And the more as a church we understand who we are, that we are people loved by God and that we experience that type of love, the more we're going to be able to love one another. And the Lord knows how desperately we need it. Like when we consider one another in the way that God designs us to, has, has created us to, to look at us as members of one body, that we belong one to another, then the needs and hurts and fears and disappointments of the person next to you or across the room from you ought to matter, right? Like we matter one to another and we matter so much that Paul likens us to literally one body. And the type of love that we at least ought to show or do show for our preferences, our needs, our health, is we're to love another at least like that, if not even more, even greater. We're to love people like this. So I'm not trying to get on to you, but I want to ask you, we, you know, I want to ask you this, are you loving others in this way? I've got good news, you can <laughs> But if we're not going to the gospel, reminding ourselves of who Jesus is, reminding of ourselves of what Jesus done, has done, then there's going to be no way we can love like this, right? I mean, I trip out driving in traffic almost every morning. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I say that, and it, I think it's fine, but I'm being serious. Like, sometimes I want to rage. I used to have, I used to have this old Tahoe um, big, big Tahoe. And I was like, man, I told Meg, if I could just have like a steel thing on front, you know, just give us a little nudge. <laughs> she looked at me. She's like, what? <laughs> like, I'm being honest. I, my, I'm irritable. But I can love even that person who cuts me off because I can experience the love that Jesus gives me. It's not going to be on my own. I'm not going to manufacture it on my own. Maybe it's towards a spouse right now. Maybe it's towards a child. A neighbor, you know, we, the list could go on, but let's, let's at least commit to this, that we're going to love the people in this church. At least we're going to pray for and seek to love them in the way that Jesus loves us. Because we have a responsibility, one to another, to exercise that type of love. And if we're to exercise this responsibility, we can't just see the priority and the portrait of it. We have to finally see the permanence of love. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, like unique divine knowledge, he says it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But then he gives a very loaded, important statement. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So despite our desire and even fascination with the gifts of the Spirit, Paul continues with an argument up for love. He shows us how the gifts are not permanent. But what is permanent? What never ends? Love. Notice his explanation of this in verse 10. He says, the perfect or completion, when this comes... In verse 10, he says, when, this, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass. I think that this time frame, this moment Paul is referring to, is not particularly in this age 
But when we see Jesus, listen to what author Brian Rosner says. He says, the context of this passage here makes it abundantly clear that at the point at which Paul expects the gifts to pass away or to disappear is when we see the Lord face to face and know him fully, even as we are fully known. It is unlikely that Paul has in mind some particular perfect or complete thing or person, but the coming of an age which brings with it the perfect and complete realities to which each of the spiritual gifts pointed as very partial manifestations of the same. What the author is saying here is that these giftedness that we long for, we want to exercise, we want to experience, Paul says those things are going to have an end. And their end is when we see Jesus. So obviously there still is a need for that giftedness. But the thing that will last forever beyond that giftedness is love. And he gives this illustration to help us understand that. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish things. He's saying, he's comparing the childish time to this time. There's things that we're doing in this time because the perfect, the complete has not come. He says, for now, this time, this, this immature, childish time, we see in a mirror dimly. But then when it's the mature, time, he says, we'll see face to face. He says, now I know in part. But think about what he says here. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul describes a coming time when there's going to be no more need for us to manifest miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Because there's going to be a time, and who knows Hopefully soon when that time will come, when we experience and see the fullness, the completion of all things in Jesus. So until that time comes, be thankful for the gifts that God has given you and certainly exercise them in the life of the church. Next week, we're going to talk about what that exercising looks like specifically from 1 Corinthians 14. But until then, recognize that there is something greater than those gifts. And you know what's greater than those gifts? Love. Not just the exercising of it, which we ought to do, but the experience of it as well. It is so important for us to understand how the good news of Jesus relates to all this. Because when we consider our identity the first thing that Paul calls us to embrace, we're called to belong to the body of who? The body of Jesus Christ. So that, that, that very core of our identity means that we belong to Jesus. But then Paul shows us that the church really needs not just to embrace that identity, but to exercise her responsibility, and that's to exercise love. And we once again see how the love that we so desperately crave is found in Jesus. And the love that others desperately need is given from Jesus as well. So now all of a sudden it brings us to this gospel-centeredness where we never move past the gospel. We're always in reminding ourselves that the gospel is the power of God unto our salvation. It is making us, creating us, renewing us, allowing us to love others the way Jesus loves us, giving us the compassion, the giftedness, if you will, to minister to the others the way Jesus has ministered to us. 
So when we understand this connection, this, this rootedness that we have to the good news of Jesus, it changes how we live because it changes how we think. We're humble. We're filled with patience and kindness. We demonstrate and bear the fruits of the Spirit. And we manifest one to another into where we live and work and play a little bit of heaven. There are some people in this church right now that need to experience a little bit of heaven. You know, when you think about, as a pastor, you, when, you, when you understand some of the needs of the body, it's hard. And, and I want to encourage you that you would walk out of here today, yes, encouraged because you are loved by God, but also inspired to love others, particularly starting in this room. There are people in this room that you don't know their name. Y'all, we're like a hundred people. And, and there are, there's anonymity here. That's concerning. Because, listen, I may not want to know what my body looks like, but I do know what my body looks like. <laughs> right? I'm not trying to be crude, but you get my point. You know your body. You could see your toes on a picture. Oh, those are my toes, that crooked one. You know, right? You know your body. You care for your body. If there's someone in this room that you don't know their name, man, start there. Because I guarantee there are needs in this room that God has enabled you to meet that right now you may be unaware of. And the way that you become aware is by exercising the responsibility of love. And if you don't know if you should, yeah, you should, because you have a commitment to an identity that you belong to a body. And the reason why I encourage us to do that, I encourage it to start here, because if we learn to do that and to do that well, then doing it to our neighbors, doing it to our coworkers, doing it to those where we shop, it, it's going to be more natural, won't it? Matter of fact, we might feel more equipped to do it because someone has done it to us. We've been able to do it with someone here that there's maybe a little more grace that we would, would receive. Or maybe you bumble and fumble in your ability to care and you learn now with these people so that when you go to those neighbors or those coworkers, you're more skilled, you're more enabled. Like we're family. We belong one to another. And in that wonderful privilege comes a great responsibility, and that is to love. Yes, to practice giftedness. Yes, to use the gifts the Spirit has given you. We'll talk about those more in detail, I promise, next week. But what's more important than that? What's the better way than that? It's love. And, like, I'll be honest, you know, like, I had a, a brother in this church lovingly say to me, more or less, talk is cheap. He confronted me on a lack of love that I was demonstrating towards him. And he basically said, love is cheap. Show action. And so I, I, I want to pray for us and encourage us to take action to meet needs, to reach out, to love like you've been loved. And as I prayed before we started this, if you've never experienced that love of Jesus yourself, if you've never had that heart transformation by the gospel, then calling you to love like this and to give yourself to others, man, you're like, peace out, forget that. I can't do that, right? But if you 
have experienced that love and will experience maybe for the first time today, you have the ability to love and be loved from and like Jesus. That's good news. (laughs) That is the good news of Jesus Christ. The church really needs... (laughs) To embrace her identity as a people, members in the body of Christ, and to exercise her responsibility as love one to another.